Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nishan, Nishan the father of Solomon. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Reboam. Reboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amen. Amen, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel. Sheltiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Habihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were fourteen generations in all, from Abraham to David, fourteen from David to the exile to Babylon, and fourteen from the exile to the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. That's what you call hazing right there. <laughs> Golly. I had the idea of having that being our scripture reading, and I thought, no, nah, that's too cruel. And then I was like, nah, let's do it. <laughs> I feel like at some point at our church, we should have that be the scripture reading. So you were there that day. 
You were there that day when that was the scripture reading. Thank you very much, Louise. You know, uh, Christmas time is a time for a, a flurry of activities. We decide to spend this day just jam-packing it with so many different things that, uh, that we do. One of the things that we have decided to do as a culture is this is the season where we decide to send out Christmas cards, right? Like, so there's, that's like a peaceful thing, right? As if we don't have enough to do, let's get the family in some sort of color scheme, find some field with overgrown grass, and force our children to look happy, uh, I've been in those moments where I am thinking of any promise. I will give you whatever. Please just smile. Or as the day progresses and it goes to the negative, like you just throw out threats that you know you're not going to follow up with. I will burn all of your stuffed animals. I promise. I want to break that iPad as soon as just smile. All to have this like fabricated picture to send out to everyone else. I personally don't remember growing up Sending out Christmas cards? I don't know, like, did, did y'all send out Christmas cards with a family uh, portrait? I don't actually think that my family ever had a photographer, like a professional photographer, take our picture. It's just, this is kind of like a more recent thing. Instead, the only thing that we would do is that we would wait for our church to have, like, the church directory and have, like, a very bad knockoff of an Olin Mills uh, portrait get done. And um, so for our, that's, that's the only time we would ever have a professional picture. And we actually, there was one time where that actually produced my favorite picture of my family. This is the story of how that went. So we had our picture done. Beforehand, the photographer had only a couple more pictures left on his roll. So there used to be film that was actually inside of the camera, y'all. And uh, so he just took that picture and then started with a fresh roll. Um, we went to go pick up our, our portrait later on, and the guy behind the desk was saying, this is the, the portrait for your family, but there is one that we took without you knowing that has been our office's favorite picture that we've had up for a while, and we want to gift that to you. Would you guys like to see my favorite family portrait? Here you go. That's it. <laughs> It's my favorite family picture for so many reasons. One, because I knew it was up. I knew he was going to sneak a picture and I was going to look. But like that, that guys, you've never met my family. That's my family. Like it's the most realistic picture of our family. We love that picture. Even recently uh, at Thanksgiving, our, my family tried to duplicate it. Uh, let's see that picture. And... Uh, <laughs> So we still got it. We still got it, guys. Uh, we, you, but, you know, you put it side by side, and it's not as good. I think the original still holds up. But, guys, that, that is my family. Uh, that's my favorite picture because the reality is no one's family is perfect. And even though we try to have this, like, manicured moment that's so forced to have, like, this perfect picture of a family with a filter making us look even a little bit better, the reality is that's no one's family. Can I hear an amen? Like, no one's family is perfect. And uh, I know that to be true, that um, all of our families are a mixture of love and support, as well as disappointments and pain. 
There's people in our family whom we respect and we would love to emulate, and there's probably people in your family that we shall not speak their name, right? (laughs) And that's kind of all of our families. As much as we try to diminish the power of our families of origin, we know it's something that we can't quite shake. It's just a part of who we are. I really was struck by what Pete Scazzera, he's an author and a pastor, he wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, but he said this, he said, I've got Jesus in my heart, but I have grandpa in my bones. <laughs> and as much as we believe that, you know, Christ makes us new, like in Jesus I am born again, like that idea, the reality is we still have our families as a part of our being, as a part of who we are. And I find that really interesting as we look at the beginning of Matthew, You know, the different authors of the different Gospels have different approaches of how to introduce Jesus. We have in Mark, Mark introduces Jesus as like a fully formed adult, and he's like off, and he's like on action. He's a man of mission. We have the book of John, which is like an Enneagram 4 type writer who starts off with like a poetic, artistic, dramatic, and let's be honest, confusing understanding of like who Jesus is. Then we have, uh, math, uh, we have Luke, which gives us our beloved Christmas stories, begins with the baby Jesus. But then we have Matthew, who chooses to begin with a family lineage. How meaningful was that reading to you? Like, does anyone have Matthew 1-8 tattooed on them? You know, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Oh, it's my favorite. It's my life verse, guys. It's my life verse. Probably not. So why would Matthew choose to start the story of Jesus like that? And if we believe, as we do, that uh, that Scripture is also inspired by God's Spirit, why would God want us to have such a clunky introduction? Well, for those who know the Old Testament, all of those names, and by the way, those names, most of those names don't mean much to me, just if you are feeling like you missed out on something, No, but for those who knew the Old Testament, those names are like snapshots that open up all these different stories, these different stories of experiences. And though we might be tempted to uh, like skim through these names, there is a deeper purpose in beginning the story of Jesus like this. The author is trying to show us that there is a thread that runs from generation to generation. And this thread is like this sacred thing that it begins all the way back, generations before. And this author is just tying this thread in through all these people and all these different stories, weaving together these names. And it ends up that this thread, this thread ends with Jesus. Jesus was not some unintended consequence. Jesus is a part of this redemptive plan where God is weaving together an incredible story. You know, like each of these names would have such significance. And like, a, 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 like just like a wonderful author, as you look at these different names, it's like there's a foreshadow running through all these stories about a Savior who would one, one day come. And this is to build anticipation, expectation, longing for the fulfillment of this, process, this promise. So Matthew is writing to a mostly Jewish audience. He begins his story not with shepherds or angels or a manger, but he begins this story with Abraham. 
You remember Abraham? The Jewish audience would. And it's like this idea of like, slow down, take a moment here. Think about how God promised Abraham, even though he was really, really, really old and without child, that God promised that it is from your family, your seed, that the whole world is going to be blessed. The whole world would be blessed through a family. And there in that moment, though he had every reason to doubt, Abraham believed it. And you could read the rest of that lineage as the fulfillment of this promise that the world would be blessed through this family line, this thread that God was weaving throughout that. So the gospel didn't, Matthew's gospel didn't start on Christmas night because the story begins so much before that. Matthew's making sure that we remember that Jesus did not come to this world descending from a cloud. He didn't come to this world as a fully formed adult with degrees, with credentials intact, that Jesus came through a family. This is what I think in part what theologians call the, the scandal of particularity. This is something we talked about a couple months ago, but it's something worth revisiting, especially now in this season. This is the scandal of particularity. Not only did God choose to become human, but God became this human, this person entering into this culture on that day with this family, with that voice, with that face. The particularity of Jesus, this Nazarene Jewish man, removes any concept that God is some sort of unknowable force or energy in this world, in this universe. In fact, what we believe is that God was human, and more powerfully, God became that human from that family. This type of particularity puts to rest any notion that we're talking about some legend or myth when we're thinking about the life of Jesus. Because we easily, and I think many people, look at the story of Jesus like it's any other fairy tale. So how do fairy tales go? Well, there's a darkness that seems to be ruling the earth, and then an unlikely hero emerges. And this hero has powers that no one else has. He could heal people, walk on water, bring people back to life. Oh, and he was perfect. This hero was perfect. But then the bad guys turned on him, and it looked like evil's going to win the day, and he was killed, and then you hope that this, the credits don't scroll down the screen. But then, when you think it might be over with, the hero is alive again, the story ends with the good guys winning and the bad guys running for the heels and everyone lives happily ever after. We could put that lens or that understanding of what a fairy tale is over the story of Jesus and let it just be another legend or a myth. But Matthew wants to point out uh, that this is no fairy tale version of some sort of savior. Matthew disrupts that idea by rooting the story of Jesus from this family tree, that Jesus actually came from this family, this mother, this father, this lineage. I love what Tim Keller says, pastor in New York. He says, Matthew says, this is no fairy tale. Jesus Christ is not one more lovely story pointing to these underlying realities. Jesus is the underlying reality to which all the stories point. Because of our familiarity with the Christmas story, it's so much easier for make us to make this story around Jesus' birth like just 
another cozy story for our kids to know, for us to rehearse in our nostalgia. But the coming of Christ is a shocking part of human history. We have to make sure that we bring the story into real life. This makes me think of a scene from the movie Hook. You guys remember this movie? It's a story about Peter Pan, Hook played, uh, Peter Pan played by Robin Williams. He, as he was aging, he began to forget Neverland as he grew up. It's like, it's like he had a type of amnesia. And instead, he became a workaholic lawyer with very little imagination and courage. But there's a scene where this elderly Wendy was reading, uh, telling the story of Neverland to uh, Robin Williams' characters, Peter, uh, Peter's children. And Peter walked into the room and began listening with a sense of amusement. And breaking from the story, Wendy turned her attention to Peter and said to him, Peter, these stories are true. Well, friends, I'm here to tell you this story is true. This isn't just a list of moral fables or religious nostalgia. We believe that God came to this world as a Palestinian Jew 2,000 years ago. He had a mother named Mary, a father named Joseph, whose father was Jacob, whose grandfather was Mathan. <laughs> and that little child Jesus came here to save the world and to save you. But there's something even more incredible about this introduction. It would have been commonplace in, in Matthew's day when he was writing this for people to, uh, for royalty, for dignitaries to uh, kind of edit their family lineage like many of us try to do in our own family lineage. We kind of try to strike that person from our family line. Uh, you might want to get rid of that disgraced family member from your lineage. It's almost like polishing up one's resume. It would be very common for people to remove people who are unsightly from that lineage. But we find here in Matthew's story is that this is not a flawless pedigree, <laughs> that there's some remarkable issues in the lineage of Jesus. The family tree that Jesus had had bent and broken branches. It begins with Father Abraham, though he was a man of great faith, he was not without fault. Abraham was known to lie. He even sent his wife into the arms of Pharaoh, like almost like uh, almost losing this promise that 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 God gave him, putting the promised seed into jeopardy. And by the way, he didn't do that just once. He did it twice. <laughs> That's Father Abraham. Then you have David, whom Scripture calls a man after God's own heart. He was a great king, but he was also, he exercised his power to force a woman to commit adultery. And to cover up his sin, David ended up having her husband murdered. And by the way, if you look at the story of David and Uriah, they fought together. Uriah was one of David's mighty men. Like, they were in battle together. He trusted Uriah, and Uriah trusted David. That's a twisted branch for sure. In this lineage, we have racial outsiders, people who were told that they did not belong as a part of God's holy people. They are in this lineage. People like Tamar and Ruth and Rahab, who is a prostitute, is found in that lineage. We could go through 
those names and we find story after story of unlikely examples, flawed families, and generations of faithlessness. Yet through this all, what we find is there's the hidden meaning of Christmas coming through. Matthew's introduction is not something to scroll past or skip over. It's a warning of sorts. And what's the warning? In Jesus Christ, prostitute and king, Jew and non-Jew, the righteous and the rebel, they are all bound together in God's grace. And not only do they belong to Jesus, but they belong together. And it's through those type of people that Jesus is brought into this world. And I might say, continues to be brought in this world. If indeed the story of Christmas is like this keyhole to look through, to be able to see the whole story of Jesus, the the whole point of the good news of Jesus, what do we see as we look through this keyhole of this lineage is we see the way in which Jesus came into this world and it tells us what kind of God we're talking of, what kind of God we can know, displays this characteristic of who God is. And what is that characteristic? God's grace is stubborn. God's grace is stubborn. His grace will not be thwarted by our failures or our checkered past. It will not be limited by our regrets or the names given to us by people in this world. The same thread that wove itself in the lineage of Jesus comes to people like me and you. Let me just do a little favor here. Y'all can, just give it a little toss. If it comes to you, no, you have to hold on to it, Brendan. You have to hold on to it. So hold on to the thread and give it to a toss to someone else here. There you go, thank you. And please don't hit each other in the face as it comes to you. Okay, so the whole point of this for me is what we find in this, in this story of Jesus is that it's more than just this individual people being brought into it. But there's, when you scale back from it, what you see is that God is weaving a tapestry of grace. God's not only calling individuals, but God is inviting a community of unlikely saints. A community who's a mixture of those who are determined and those who are doubtful. It is a community of prophets and misfits faithful and those who feel faithless. It's a community of those who feel ill-prepared, unlikely, riddled with regrets. And what the story of Christmas says is be careful because his grace is stubborn and he might be coming after you. The story of Christmas in the family of Jesus makes clear that Christ comes to not those who are perfect, but those who know what it means to be hungry and thirsty for grace and mercy. And the reality is, is we're a part of that story still here today. We're part of a story that's stretching through thousands of years, a story of families full of dysfunction and imperfection, but one that is rooted in God's grace. What I'm concerned about, like honestly as a pastor over the last year and a half, is that um, we have made our faith much more private and disconnected. 
and that's in part because of the struggles of COVID, but that's also in part because of the sadness that we feel of those who have been a part of our larger church family, right? Like, we wish we could edit out people of the, the family of God, you know? Those kind of scary uncles and aunts, <laughs> right? But the, the, but the reality for me is, not when we make our faith life private with Jesus, not only do we miss out on the grace that we can give each other, but we also miss out on the being part of the tapestry of God. Because when we are in this community, not only are we connected to each other and God, but this, this, the great uh, giver of grace begins to pull us together, closer together. Hi, Brennan. And we beget, become woven together, telling the story of what God's grace can do, not only for me, but also for us as a community what God's grace can do when he calls us together, all of us who are least likely. And the beautiful thing is that when we learn to release ourselves to the stubbornness of God's grace, we become like that lineage that we read about. We become a demonstration of what God's grace can do and how Jesus still is being born in this world today. So why wouldn't we expect Christ to be present in this community. Regardless of what your family has done to you, if your family has welcomed you or accepts you, whether you don't even step foot in those homes anymore, if your family has given you names that have been something that has been hard for you to leave behind, the story of Christ and his coming invites us into a different kind of family. One that's rooted in love and mercy that calls us by name, our true name, and calls us together. And as we are woven into this family of God, the story of Christmas says it is from this type of community that Jesus comes. So may we begin to have eyes to see and expect Christ's presence, not only in our lives, not only this season, in and through the relationships of this church. May we experience the nearness of Jesus in this season. We thank you, Christ, for how you come, that you did not just come as an idea or ideology, but you came as a person to show us the way. And I pray, Lord Jesus, as we walk through this season, I pray that we would begin to release ourselves to the stubbornness of your grace, that not only calls us to you, but calls us to a community. We thank you for how you love us. You don't give up on us. So friends, I invite you with open hands just right now in this moment, just to receive the mercy and the grace of God. The same lineage that we find in Matthew, the same twisted roots and broken branches we find in that family tree. You have been grafted into that. You've been grafted into the mercy of Jesus and the story of Christ's coming. So in this moment, just receive the stubborn grace of God. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about the Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to the Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.